Acts chapter 4. I see some friends from out of town, guests today. Good seeing you guys. Thank you. So glad you're here. I think you will find that these are some of the nicest, kindest people in this entire area. Right, church? Am I right, church? Thank you, Father. So glad to have everybody with us. Acts chapter 4. Let's go back to verse 32. We have been talking for the last six weeks about growing in the grace of God and looking back at the church in the book of Acts and looking and taking note of the great grace that was on these people. Because this is the church we're a part of and whatever they had, we can have and we should have. In Acts chapter 4 verse 32, it says, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And read this last statement with me. And great grace was on them all. Say it again. And great grace was on them all. What kind of grace was on them? Great grace. Big grace, mega grace. I say that because that's what that word great literally means. It's the Greek word megas. This is some big time grace. And that should tell you, that alone should tell you, you can have varying degrees of the grace of God on your life. If you can have mega grace, you could be having mini grace. And I'm thankful for any of the grace, but if mega is available... Come on, help me out, church. If mega is out there, if mega is available, I want some of it. I'll take whatever he's given. And the Bible tells us, I believe in 2 Peter chapter 3, that you and I are to be growing in grace. So that first taste of the grace of God that you got when you were born again, as wonderful as it was, as thankful as we are for it, I mean, that that taste alone changed our eternal lives But the only news that could possibly be any better than that first taste of grace is this. He gives more grace. There's more available. And like we've said, if there's more available, we want it. And I keep thinking this statement. I said it to you a week or two ago. I'm not sure it's right. I just can't think of any other way to say it. I'm greedy for the grace. I want it. I need it. You need it. When you look at what was going on in this church, this statement here, great grace was on them, really is just how you summarize everything that was happening. Starting on the day of Pentecost, when they were all praying together and the Spirit of God fell on them and and tongues of fire sat on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with other tongues. That's grace. That's a gift. The word grace itself literally means gift. It means you didn't earn it means you didn't get it because of some work you did or something God owed you. It was a gift. And anybody, you, me, anybody else being baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, having that kind of power in our lives, that's the gift of God. And it is his gift to all the church. Praise God. And from there, they came out of that upper room and Peter was preaching And as the result of the anointing and the power of God on that message, 3,000 people heard it, got born again, and were added to the church. This church is growing miraculously. This is miracle grow on this church. Exponentially, 
Well, that's grace. That's grace. So many things that people have put in place in an effort to get people into the church. I'm not knocking any of it, but if you are trying apart from grace to fill up a place, it's going to be nothing but labor and toil and sweat that won't produce what you need it to. But if we'll let grace add people to this family, we'll grow and we'll grow and we'll grow. And I'll go ahead and say it right now. There'll have to be another service and perhaps another service and another service and whatever it takes to meet the needs of the people. And we'll have to look back and say, how'd this happen? And I'll tell you right now, it won't be because Jeremy is a master marketer. He's not, by the way. I'm actually really pretty bad at it. I'm a horrible salesman. Sometimes I preach offering messages called keep your money. And that, I don't think you're supposed to do that. But I would much rather the testimony of this place be, look what grace has done. Other than, or rather than look what I've done. Look what we've been able to do. Grace. Somebody say, that's grace. That's grace. What else was happening in this church? People are getting healed. Miracles are popping. Starting with that man who was lame at the gate going into the temple. And Peter said in Acts chapter 3, I don't have my, my wallet on me, but what I do have, I give to you. Now help me out. Remind me, church. This is Acts 3. What is it Peter's got as of Acts 2? The Holy Spirit and power. In the name of Jesus Christ, he said, rise and walk. And immediately the man's feet and ankle bones received strength. He went walking, leaping, praising God. Somebody say, that's grace. That's grace. And when people saw it, they flipped out. Peter starts preaching again and 2,000 more get added to the church. That's grace. You get into chapter four and the disciples, the apostles are praying, God, give us boldness. They're threatening us, telling us to stop preaching in your name. We're asking for boldness that we might preach it more. And you know what else they said? We like those miracles. Do that again. We like that. That's grace. And then what we just read, these people, they're living with such a move of the Spirit of God and such compassion and love for one another that nobody is holding on to what they've got. They're looking at needs represented in the family and going, well, well I got two of those here. Take one of these, you know, and, and, and nobody said that what they had was their own, but they had things in common. I can, I can help you with that. Let me be a blessing. Oh, you need some of this? Well, I got some here. You take it. That's a move of God. That's grace. And it goes on to say uh, in chapter four, verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. Now we already know there's at least 5,000 people in this church, probably closer to 10 or more. And not one of them lacked. You could not find lack in that church anywhere. Why? Well, they started church in a good part of town. You know, they started church where there's some big givers over nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. It was grace, the grace of God. And I'm stirred up about it, church. What are we now? Our seventh session into this. I'm more excited about it now than I was six, seven weeks ago, because I believe this is the mega grace that you and I are headed towards. There is a grace on this place. That's why it's so important that, you know, where your place is. Where is your place? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that this is everybody's place. I know that it's not. 
But I do know that there are those the Lord would add to us. And, it, and it's for this reason. It's because of the grace that's on this place. And it's because of the grace that's on them. Not only do they need what this place provides, but they have something that this place needs. And I'm talking about you this morning. If this is your place, then you and I are partakers of the grace that's on the place. That's why you got to find out where your place is. And when you find out where your place is, get planted. Just like Sarah already preached to us this morning, get planted, get rooted, and don't let anything or anyone uproot you and take you out of that place. There's a grace for you there. So I want to keep going with this this morning. We're here in the book of Acts. Go to chapter 20 with me. We've been talking specifically over the last number of weeks, answering a couple of questions. Number one, what is grace? And number two, how do I get more of it? How do I grow in it? And we've been touching on this from the beginning of this series, but most especially over the last several weeks. We identified several weeks ago that the grace of God is favor. Somebody say favor. favor. It's favor with God. But do you remember we talked about this, that that favor you and I have with God is supposed to overflow into favor with other people. We've talked about this. If you've missed any of it, it's all available to you online. You can get a hold of it. But that grace is favor, favor with God and favor with men, favor with other people. And we saw from the scripture how if that's what grace is, how do we answer this next question? How do I get more of it? Well, we saw that tying loyalty and kindness around your neck, kindness opens the door to greater favor with God and with other people. And we saw in the next week how it's not just kindness, but it's loyalty, which is also the word faithfulness. Faithfulness opens the door to favor and more favor and greater favor and mega favor with God and with other people. Last week, we talked about how the grace of God is God and his help. Come boldly before the throne of grace, that Greek word charis. Come boldly before that throne of grace because what's waiting for you there is mercy and grace to help. That's what's waiting for you in the presence of God. Grace to help. We said, okay, well, if grace is God's help, I know I want that. How do I get more of it? And in a word, it's humility. It's humility. Remember AAA? We talked about that. If you need some roadside assistance, if you need some help, then you need to call AAA. And we talked about what those three A's stand for. Number one, acknowledge the need for help. Well, that's humility, isn't it? I mean, you and I both know folks and maybe have been folks at certain times that it was like pulling a tooth just to try to get them to say, I don't know, or just to acknowledge, hey, I need some help here. But humility acknowledges the need for help. What else will humility do? Ask for it. That's humility. I need the help, Lord, and I'm asking you for it. Man, could it be that simple? Could it be that we have lived without the fullness of the help of God for one silly reason? We didn't ask for it? It's happening every day all over the world. Here's God in all his grace, ready, willing, and able to help anybody 
who will acknowledge the need for it and ask in faith for it. And then finally, that third A, you remember what that was? Accept the help. Because a lot of times that help comes along and God says, okay, you want my help? You need my help? I'll give it to you. And this is what I want you to do. And you're going, nope, that is not going to help. <laughs> well, wait a second. You told me you needed it. Yeah, but I don't need that kind of help. I want you to help me this way. I want you to help me like this. I want you to help me by doing that. That's not how this works. Triple A, acknowledge the need for it, ask for it, and then accept it, how it comes to you from him. That's how you increase in that kind of grace. Now today, in an effort to just really tighten this up, I've got three pages and over 20 scriptures that we could get into. I'm not saying we will, calm down. Uh, but the truth is, I don't know if we'll get past this first one. Here in Acts chapter 20, I came across this Friday, Friday morning, and I just sat on the couch at the house for hours, just saying this verse over and over and over. And I kept thinking, Lord, I got to move on. There's got to be more to it than this. And every time I try to move on, and like I said, I've got other things here. But folks... If you'll receive what you're about to see in the scripture, this will get you so fired up. We might just run and shout and, and who knows what will happen in this place for people who will receive it. In Acts chapter 20, let's look together at verse 32. A little context here, Paul had been with these people for a long time, ministering to them, preaching to them, and he was getting ready to leave them. And when you read all of it, you find out that he knows he's leaving them and they will not see each other again. So his final words to them, in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, let me read it to you first of all from the New King James. It says, Paul said, So now, brethren, I commend you to God. Another word or another way for saying that is, I entrust you to God. I am putting you in God's hands. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I'm entrusting you to God and I'm entrusting you to the word of his grace. I'm putting you in his hands. And in the hands of his grace. But listen to what he says. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I'm commending you to God. And I'm commending you or I'm entrusting you to the word of his grace, which is able to do what? Come on, say it. It's able to build you up. Let me read it to you from this other translation. The Weast Bible says it like this. And now as to present things, I commend you to the Lord and to the word of his grace, which has power to build you up. So when he, when he talked about its ability to, to build up, really what he was saying is there's power there is power, and what this grace is, is power. But it's not just power, it's power for something specific. It's power 
to build you up. This morning, I want to talk about power to build up. Power to build up. That's what grace is. So again, we're answering these two questions, right? What is it? How do I get more of it? Well, what it is in addition to favor, what it is in addition to God's gifting and his ability, what it is in addition to um, his help and the help of the Holy Spirit, his grace is power. Somebody say power. Power, power to do what? Build you up. And this is what I just sat on that couch for hours saying over and over, power to build up, power to build up. There's power. There's power to build you up. I start talking to myself a little bit like a madman. Jeremy, there's power to build you up. There is power available that will build you up. Now, what's cool about this, this word or this phrase to build up you study it and it's actually a compound of two words, one meaning upon, but the other comes from a root word that literally means architecture. So when Paul used this word and said, I'm commending you to God, I'm putting you in the hands of God and I'm putting you in the hands of the word of his grace. He's saying it's going to build you up the same way an architect the same way a, a, somebody in construction, a builder, would build a house, the same way they would build a building. And how do they do that? Well, they lay a foundation, right? The first thing they do is, is lay that foundation. And then from there, it just keeps going up and up and up and up. I don't know if you've ever been around any really big buildings. I'm talking New York City, Chicago, some of these places with these buildings just shoot up into the sky, hundreds of floors. And you think to yourself, how'd they do that? Well, let me tell you how they didn't do it from the top down. It's never building down. It's always building up. And they built that building the same way somebody built your house or the same way they build little buildings around here. They start with the foundation. And they make that foundation strong, right? And then they start adding elements and components to the, the first floor of it. Now, depending on how high this thing's going to go, when they finish that first floor and put the ceiling on that, well, that ceiling then becomes the floor for the next floor. And floor two is built on floor one, which is built on the foundation. And if they keep going, then that third floor is built on the second, which is built on the first, which is built on the foundation. And this thing can keep just going up and up and up. And every time they add an element to it, a, another brace, another structure or part of the structure over here, another wall, what's happening as the building goes up this place, two things are happening to it. It's getting bigger and it's getting stronger. All of this was in this word that he said to them, build you up. There is power to build you up, to increase you, to make you bigger and to make you stronger. Now, Paul also wrote, don't turn there. I'll just read this to you. He also wrote in first Corinthians chapter three, and he said in verse nine, you are God's building. Somebody say, I am God's building. 
He said, you are God's building. And according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. When you look that word up, wise master builder, it's the Greek word architecton. Guess what word we get from that? Architect. He's saying this grace came on me like an architect. And he said, as a wise master builder, I've laid a foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you see here again, he's using these same words to talk about the way something would be built from the foundation up and up and up and getting bigger and getting stronger. And he said, this grace came on me like an architect to lay this foundation. But let me ask you a question. When Paul's doing all this building that he's talking about, building these people, laying this foundation, is he doing any of it? with hammer and nails? Is he doing any of it by pouring concrete, stacking bricks with mortar? What is he using? What are the building materials he used to build these people up? Go back and look at what we just read in Acts chapter four. He said, I commend you to God. Put that back up there for us. If you've got it, Acts chapter four, verse 32, look at it again. I want you to see this. He said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Look at it. I'm putting you, I'm entrusting you. Again, he's leaving. I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm not going to see you anymore. I can't be here to to watch you like I have been, to to be hands-on with you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust God with you. Man, that takes some faith, ladies and gentlemen. Keep that up there just for a minute. That takes some faith. When you are out of sight from people, it takes faith to say, Lord, I trust you with them. One of the things Sarah and I pray almost every day as we take the kids to school, Lord, we thank you for keeping a watchful eye on these kids. We're not there with them those eight hours. We can't walk around them like this on the playground, right? We, we, can't, we can't keep them from bumping into things. We can't sit there at the table with their friends and make sure everybody says just very nice things to them and make sure nobody says anything that would ever hurt their feelings. I can't be there with them to plug their ears if something bad is coming. But I can say this, Lord, I trust you. I put them in your hands. I'm trusting you to watch them. I'm trusting you to protect them. I'm trusting the peace of God that that it would stand guard over their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus and that not one unkind or unlovely word would be able to penetrate their heart because of that peace. Take some faith to put somebody in the hands of God. Take them out of yours and put them in God's hands. But that's not all he said. I'm leaving you. I'm not going to be with you, but I'm going to put you in God's hands. I'm I'm commending you to him and to something else. To his grace? Yes, but not just his grace. To the word of his grace. What did Paul use as building materials to lay that foundation? He's been with these people for years. He laid that foundation long ago, and for the last several years... Their lives as a building has just been going up and up and up and up. 
Well, he's leaving. Does that mean the building has to stop? No. He's saying, I'm going to trust the word. I'm going to trust the word of his grace to keep doing this building. And, and this is specific. Because a lot of people would think, well, yeah, you know, the grace of God. I'm just going to trust the grace of God to do it. I'm just going to trust God's grace to do whatever God wants to do. It's not just his grace. It was the word. It is the word of his grace. Study this out and you find that it's not just the word grace. When he said word, it's literally the word for preaching. The message. One translation even says that I'm trusting the message of his grace. I'm trusting that what I've preached to you, that the words that God anointed, I'm trusting that they are opening your eyes. I'm trusting that they are opening your hearts and changing your minds. I'm trusting that these words are laying such a firm foundation in your life. I'm trusting that these words of grace that you've heard that reveal Jesus, who he was, who he is, that shine a light on the Holy Ghost and what he wants to do in your life. These words will build you up and up and up and up and you're going to get bigger and you're going to get stronger. But Paul, how can we do that? You're leaving, but this word ain't leaving you. This word is still with you. I'm trusting you with the word and I've laid a foundation. And he said, somebody else is going to come build on it. Now make sure whoever builds on that foundation that they take heed how they build because nobody else can lay a foundation that's something other than Jesus Christ. So whatever you build on that, it better serve to do this one thing strengthen, make bigger, and to build them up. Build you up. There is a power available to you and to me that'll build us up. Build us up. Thank you, Lord. Now we need this. Do we not? I mean, we need this. When you get low on strength, when you get low on energy, when you, as we say around our house, are dragging your wagon. That's one of the things we say to the kids, especially in the morning. Hey guys, come on, let's get a move on. So you're dragging your wagon. What does that mean? Speed up, find some strength, find some energy. But we all come to that. Don't pretend you don't. Where you run out of this natural strength when you are exhausted by whatever it is you've been doing all day and all night and you just come to the end of yourself Guess what you need? You need some power. Come on, church. Listen, this will do nothing for you if you don't get a hold of it. You need some power to build you up. And it's available. Now, he said that power would come through the word of his grace. The word of his grace. There's a whole world full of people that are not accessing any of that power. Why? Didn't hear the word. This thing that I'm preaching to you right now, this word of grace that I've been preaching to you for the last six weeks, do you realize it's not doing anybody who's not here any good? Or anybody that's not hearing it? I know we've got congregation online, people watching from other places. But it's not just not being physically here. It's anybody that doesn't receive it. It won't do them any good. 
Jesus talked about a foundation in your life. Do you remember this? We, we sing songs about it in children's church. The wise man built his house on the rock, right? And the rains came down and the floods came up. But the foolish man built his house on the sand. And I think in, in people's understanding, that has been the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. You know, a believer is somebody whose life is who's built on Jesus. Jesus is the rock. And if you're, if you're not a believer, then your life is built on sand. But go back and look at what Jesus said. We won't take time to do it today, but let me just remind you. He said, he who comes to me, step one, hears my word, step two, and does it, step three. I'll tell you what he's like, Jesus said. He's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But then he said, in contrast to that, he who comes to me, so that guy did the same thing the first one did. And here's my word. Does this sound like an unbeliever? The only difference between the two, they both came to Jesus. They both heard his word. But Jesus said the fool is the one who hears it and doesn't do it. He's the one that built his house on the sand. This is not the contrast between a believer and an unbeliever. This is the contrast between two people sitting right next to each other in church, coming to Jesus, hearing the word, one receives it and does it, the other walks out without putting it into practice. One is a wise man, the other is a fool. How is this word of grace going to build you up? You hear it, you receive it, you put it into practice. There is power to build up. I know several years ago, the kids were pretty little. Um, Jesse, I think, was about three. I guess that would have made Justice six or so. And we were coming towards the end of the year, this particular year I'm talking about. And man, I got tired. We had been traveling, I think, all year long. If memory serves right, I think we'd done several international things sometime around that. And we had just been going and going and going and going. And serving God, right? I mean, this is in the ministry. We're preachers, we're teachers. Doing our calling, kingdom-minded people, right? The only thing was, as we got closer to the end of that year, I was getting so tired, especially at the end of the day, that my goal in life was to get the kids in bed so that I, about four minutes later, could get myself in bed. So you get them, they're little, we get them in bed, 7.30 or so. Seriously, five, 10 minutes later, where am I? in bed, covers pulled up, exhausted. But I, would, I started this habit in, in those evenings when I would get into bed. I would reach over to my nightstand. And on my nightstand, it's like I saw it over and over again. Here sat my Bible. And here sat my iPad with my headphones. And I would reach over and grab that iPad and those headphones. And I would throw the headphones on and just check out. Just turn my brain off. And I found myself doing it night after night after night. Turned into weeks of it. Turned into months of it. And as time went by, I'd reach over there. Same, you know how you just get into these habits and I just do the same thing every night. And, and it started to become this little thing with me where I'd reach over and I'd see the Bible and I'd see the iPad. And it was like this split second decision. Bible or iPad, Bible or iPad, Bible or iPad. And this was my thought process. If I go for my Bible, then I'm studying to preach. And if I'm studying to preach, then I'm working and I don't feel like working. 
And all the while, I could sense the Spirit of God saying, come on, Jeremy, press into me. Press into me. What's he calling me into? His Word. Now, here I am, totally depleted of strength and energy. What do I need right now? To check out? No, I need to be built up. But you can see how subtle the enemy is with this. No, just check out. Just unhook. Just turn your brain off. So I'd reach over and grab that iPad. And I don't know, I got involved in some season of some show. Stupid, man, stupid. And sat there watching it going, this is stupid. <laughs> Meanwhile, there is this beautiful woman. I'm talking knockout, gorgeous woman in the bed next to me who I'm not talking to, no friendship, no fellowship. I'm checked out. Headphones, other world. Well, about October, Sarah and I and the kids went to Branson, Missouri for a week of increase meeting at Brother Keith's church. And that's a home church for us. So we were a part of that meeting every year. And I went, my grandparents, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, happened to be in town at the same time. And since we were kind of all over the world, we never see each other at home. We have to go to other cities to say hi. And I called them up. I said, hey, you're in town. Let me come see you. So I drove over to the hotel, just me, sat down. It was not but a few minutes. And I'm sitting across the little table there from my grandfather in this hotel room. And the man starts preaching. Surprise, right? He starts preaching. And he's 84 now. He probably would have been late 70s at the time. And he starts telling me, he said, Jeremy, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God got all over me and said, if I'm going to do in this ministry what God has called me to do. Now, here's a man who's been doing it 50 years with worldwide impact and hungry for more. If I'm going to do what the Spirit of God's calling me to do, he said, it came all over me. I ain't got time for television. I don't have any time for anything that's not feeding me the Word of God. So I just emptied out the DVR, and all I got now is stuff that'll preach to me. And it's preaching to me night and day. He's fired up, and I'm going, yeah, amen. You should do that. I'm telling you, the, the conviction, though, got all over me. I'm 10 minutes from Sarah. I couldn't wait to get back. I call her. I said, that's it. We are turning off the television. I am deleting every TV movie watching app on my iPad, on my iPad. And I did it, bro. They were gone for three days <laughs> until this resurrection on the third day. Why? I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Just got to check out. And I just fell right back into that rut, right back into that habit. Now, it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't praying, you know, these things. I still was. And as a matter of fact, man, I'm dumb sometimes. The time that I was spending in the Word, I'd been in John chapter 15, where Jesus is saying, if you don't abide in me, you won't bear fruit. Abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. My Father's glorified when you bear much fruit. So abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. But all through that fall into the Christmas season, just tired, just exhausted, just wanting a break. And just a, I don't know, a few days before Christmas, Sarah and I had gone to Dallas. We were living in Fort Worth, drove an hour or so to Dallas, do some shopping. We were gone all day. The kids were with Sarah's mom and dad. And we got a call from Sarah's mom early that evening that said, I don't think Jessie's feeling very good. She's just not quite acting like herself. 
We said, okay, well, we'll be home in about an hour. Got to the house, and from the time Sarah's mom called to the time we got home, Jessie had completely lost her voice, couldn't speak, couldn't make a sound, was short of breath. We put her up in bed with us that night, and she doze off to sleep just for a moment or two, and then all of a sudden wake up, <gasps> looking for breath, couldn't find it. She's waking up, trying to breathe, and couldn't. So here I am, right? Faith boy. I'm laying there with her. I've got my hands laid on her. I'm declaring the word over her, speaking in Jesus' name. You, By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. You're redeemed from the curse of the law. He sent his word and he healed you. And one verse after another, after another, after another. And what scared me was the total lack of power I could feel coming out of me. I could feel it. I could feel there was nothing. And it scared me. Because all night long, she's waking up, looking for breath. And by the grace and mercy of God, we were able to get a hold of her doctor the very next morning, got her in right away. They looked at it, knew what it was, gave her this little thing, and within hours, she was better. Somebody say, God is merciful. She was better. I was not. And I drove away from the doctor's office that day, scared, crying. And I said, Lord, you got to help me. I don't have time for this. I don't have time as a dad to be powerless in the life of my daughter. I, I need to be able to speak the word with power. And he was so good. He spoke up in me so gently. He said, Jeremy, you're trying to bear fruit without abiding. And it's not going to work. Now, can you see what he'd been trying to draw me into for months? Jeremy, you're low. You don't have energy. You don't have strength. I've got a word. It's sitting right there on your nightstand. And if you'll just take some time and get that in you, it'll build you up. Now, how different would that have been from, say, October to about the third week of December if I had just get, been getting this word of grace in me and, and hearing this word of grace and this word of grace? What is the word of grace? It's anything and everything God's done for you through Jesus. You name it. Your salvation, uh-huh. Yeah, you bet. Your healing, yes. Your deliverance, your prosperity, your power in the Holy Ghost, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's all what God has done for you through Jesus, which makes it all grace. And as you feed on that, here comes some strength. Here comes some energy. Here comes some excitement. And it starts to stir you up. What would, what would it have been like if I had stepped into that house as a man built up, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, I promise you this, my words would not have fallen flat. There would have been power. There would have been unction. There would have been anointing from the Holy Ghost. Why? Where would that have come from? The building up of the word of grace. Everything and I do mean everything that happens in this church should serve one purpose, to build you up. Everything. Everything we do in here should, should serve to build you up. Because I get it. You and I both know what it's like to live out there. And there is a whole world that is 
attempting to drain you of energy and, and just a day-to-day that's trying to suck all the excitement for life out of you. But you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live drained. You don't have to live weak. You don't have to live tired. You don't have to live constantly looking for a checkout. You don't have to live that way. You know, the Lord finally got a hold of me and said, Jeremy, what's the difference? What's the difference between you checking out with two or three hours of TV a night because you're tired, because you're worn out, and there's this other guy, he's exhausted, and he just wants to check out, so he stops at the bar and has a few drinks for two to three hours to check out. The Lord's going, Jeremy, what's the difference? And I thought, and the only thing I could come up with was liver damage. (laughs) But then it hit me. These dumb shows I'm watching aren't doing anything for my liver. There is no difference. But we don't have to live that way. I said, we don't have to live that way. We can live with access to a power that builds up. A power that strengthens, a power that makes you bigger on the inside, stronger on the inside. Bigger and stronger. And everything, everything that happens in this church has to serve that purpose. Build you up. Build you up. I think sometimes people wonder about the songs we do in church. Or maybe about the songs we don't do in church. And haven't we sang that before? And didn't we sing that last week? Well, listen, we're not just going to sing any old thing. I don't care how much you like the music. I don't care what the words do for your emotions. If it doesn't build you up, you're not going to hear it. And if that means we have to be a little bit more selective and a little bit more limited about what we say and what we sing, then so be it. If that means we got to write everything that comes off this platform, so be it. Now, I'm not saying there's not good things out there. There are wonderful things out there, but you have got to be selective about what you are feeding on because the words that you hear serve either to build you up or tear you down. There are things that will sustain you and there are things that will drain you. What are you listening to? What are you listening to? And now we have kind of an unwritten rule in our house. Sarah and I enjoy a show. We'll lay down at night, watch something for a little bit, but it is not before we feed on the word. If somehow the whole day's gone by and we have not spent that kind of time in the word of grace, then we don't go to entertainment. We don't go to satisfy the soul. We don't have time for it. I have got to live built up. Well, do you need to live some other way? Are there different rules for me than there are for you? No. I'm telling you, if you're not listening, there should be a, an anointed message full of the word of grace and the word of faith going in your house, going in your life, going in your car all the time. Don't go a day without it. I said, don't go a day without it. Not only every song we sing, every message that's preached. Go to Ephesians chapter four. You got just a couple of minutes for this? Ephesians chapter four. You remember last week we talked from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 about that, that charismatic church. Charis meaning grace. And when Paul said, I don't want you ignorant of the gifts, these gifts of the Spirit, that's the word he used. He used charisma. 
A charismatic church is one that just has the gifts or the help of the Holy Spirit in it. But if you look through, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you will see this one word show up over and over and over. It's the word edification. We don't use it a lot, but the word literally means to build up, to strengthen. And it's got the same root word as the word Paul used when he said there's a power to build you up like an architect, like architecture, starting at a foundation and building one floor on another, on another, on another. And what he was saying, you're, you're in Ephesians four. Let me read this to you from first Corinthians chapter 14. He said in verse 26, I'll read it from the new living translation. He said, everything that is done must strengthen all of you. The new King James said, let all things be done for edification. So he's saying here, whatever's going on in the church, and there was a lot going on in that church. They were very, very, very charismatic. I'm telling you, there was preaching, praying, prophesying, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. And it was kind of all going on at once. And everybody, he said, hey, he said, how is it? This verse, he said, how is it? You got a song and, and you got a prophecy and you got a tongue and you got an interpretation. And it's all just happening at once. He said, listen, these things are good, but they have to build up everybody. Everything that goes on has to strengthen everybody. And you and I have both probably, I would say, been a part of services where things happened in service and they just seemed to serve no other purpose than to be a big distraction. I know I grew up with it. Every once in a while, somebody would show up at the church and felt like it was their call to blow the horn. We went to the same church. You know what I'm talking about. And they felt like, you know, in the middle of a message, or maybe there was a moment when it was quiet and that was their cue, blow the shofar. And they were never any good at it. You know, it was always like, I'm not saying there's not a place for that or a time for that. But how do you know if it's time? Well, is it strengthening? Is it building? And I've been in those services where somebody's got a word and somebody's got a tongue and you get to the end of the word and there was a lot of thus said that and a, this shall be in an hour and power come on you like a flower. I mean, over and over. <laughs> and man, there was a lot of times you get to the end of it and it's that, that tongue and interpretation or a prophetic word and you think, thank God. But how do you know it was God? Well, what did it do for you? Did it build you up or did it leave you going? What was that about? <laughs> because everything he said is supposed to build up. That'll keep you and I from, from getting over into things that are attention grabbing, getting over into things that just cause people to look at you as an individual. I know when I served as a youth pastor, we had about hundred, 120 kids in the youth group and we had a great team of, of, of volunteers and help. There was one lady on the team, man, she, she was so excited about God. She loved God so much. So excited. Uh, I wished that at times I could get the teenagers to be more like her, but in worship and in praise, she had this sound that would come out 
And it was like, oh, God, oh, God, thank you, Jesus. And it wouldn't really inspire more praise. It would make all the teenagers do this. What was that? Who is that? What's going on over there? What's that weird sound? What's that lady doing? And he would think, well, hey, you know, she's just passionate. She should just be, you should just let her do that. Really? Does that sound strengthen everybody in the room? Because if it's pulling away from the, what the Lord's doing, then it didn't strengthen and it didn't build up. Let everything that's done be done to strengthen. Right? And in Ephesians chapter 4, I was supposed to be at this point like 30 minutes ago, so bear with me. Ephesians chapter 4, it's all about the body and the building up of the body. And he said in verse 11, he himself gave some, well back up verse 7, to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now he's talking about these gifts and that grace in verse 11 said, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Well, what are these gifts for? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Now people are quick to read this and say, yeah, preacher, that's your job. Your job is the equipping of the saints. Your job is the work of the ministry. Your job is to build up the body. That's not what this said. Study it in other translations and you'll find that this is what it's saying. And this is what he means. He gave these gifts. Some prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He gave these gifts and their job is to equip the saints to do their job. I don't know if you've ever been asked to do a job before by somebody and then they just left you without any of the tools, any of the resource, any of the ability to get the job done. That's frustrating. So you and I have a job to do and to equip us to do the job, grace has given us gifts. Grace has given us prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers. These are the gifts to equip us to do the job. What job? The work of the ministry. Well, what is the work of the ministry? A lot of confusion about this too. There are many people in the world that would tell you and tell me the work of the ministry is to meet humanitarian needs. The work of the ministry is to, to feed the poor, to clothe them, to provide housing, to dig wells. The work of the ministry is to build shelters and those things are good things. Those things are wonderful things. And as a body, you and I will be involved in those things. But we've got to know more than we know anything else that the needs of man are not first and foremost physical. Man's greatest need is spiritual. And he said here what the work of the ministry is. The edifying of the body of Christ. That's the work of the ministry. The building up of this body. And guess whose job it is? Yours, pastor. I have a part in it. And I have to take heed on how I'm building on Paul's foundation. But I'm not the only one. Sarah's not the only one. 
Other ministry gifts are not the ones, the only ones to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is way too big for a handful of people to do it. It's the saints. It's you and you and you and you and everybody in this room and everybody watching online to do the work of the ministry, the building up of the body. And you're going, well, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. Nobody said anything about you being a preacher. He goes on and says in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. This is what words of truth will do. This is what the truth will do for you when it's given to you in love. It'll help you grow up. Speaking the truth in love, that we would grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying, for the building up of itself in love. When you are in your right place in the body, it causes the body to grow. That's what this whole chapter is about. These ministry gifts that help the body grow. The saints doing the work of the ministry that helps the body grow. You being in your right place in the body that helps the body grow. Hey, we're talking bodybuilding this morning, okay? Bodybuilding up. But again, what's your part in it? Skip down to verse 29. Musicians, you guys come. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. So he's talking about what comes out of your mouth. Not talking about what comes, comes out of the mouth of the preacher. We've already talked about that. What comes out of the mouth of the preacher better serve to build up and better serve to strengthen. Now we're talking about what comes out of your mouth. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace, that it may impart grace to the one who hears it. What is it? Go ahead, Andy. That's supposed to be coming out of your mouth. Words that build up. Here is your part in the work of the ministry. The building up of the body of Christ. How do I do that? By letting no corrupt word come out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary building up. And that's when your words are imparting words of grace to the people that hear you. The Bible talks to us in the book of Acts about a man, he's a man named Joseph, or you, I think it could be translated Joseph. But he was such a unique guy that the disciples and the apostles in the book of Acts changed his name. They nicknamed him Barnabas. You know that Barnabas, you've heard of Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't even his real name. It's his nickname. And his name, the name, the nickname Barnabas literally translates to son of of encouragement. Now, how do you get a nickname like son of encouragement or encourager? Is it because you said something nice to somebody a time or two? 
No. You get the nickname son of encouragement because everything that's coming out of your mouth is constantly serving to encourage somebody else. Constantly serving to put strength and put courage in somebody else. And here he comes walking down the hall and all the other guys see him and they're like, watch this, watch this. He's going to come. He's going to encourage you. Watch. Five bucks as he encourages you. Just watch. Hey, Barnabas, what's up? Hey, men of God, what's going on? You triumphant, victorious one. I told you he'd encourage you. An encourager, constantly encouraging people. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 9, I'll read this to you and we'll start to wrap it up. Or excuse me, Acts 11. It says, then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas, encourager, to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, Barnabas showed up in this place and said, there's some mega grace on these people. They're growing. They're thriving. They're being helped by the Holy Ghost. Charismatic people. When he came and seen, had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them. Of course, right? It's Barnabas. He was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. He encouraged them. But how and what did he encourage them with? This is one of the greatest things you'll ever do for anybody. This is one of the greatest ways you will ever minister grace to the people in your life, to the people in this church. He encouraged them to continue. What's he saying? Stay with it. Just stick with it. He's saying to them, guys, you are in a place. This got some grace. Don't unhook, don't leave. Stay with it. Stay with the Lord. Stay with what he's doing in you. This is encouragement, right? This is encouraging people to stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. When Moses sent out spies to spy out the promised land, you know the story. Ten came back and said, oh yeah, it's a great place. But then they said this, we are not able to go. We're not able. We can't do it. Now, is that an encouraging word or a discouraging word? And some people feel like it's their call in life. To provide you with that word. And meanwhile, on the other hand, here's Caleb and Joshua going, no, 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 no. We are well able. We are well able. Let's go and let's go now. They said, the Lord is with us. These people are our bread. We can go. Let's do it. Come on, help me out. What kind of word is that? That's a word that's trying to build you up. But the Bible says the congregation wouldn't hear it. The whole congregation missed out on the promised land because of these guys over here and their discouraging word. Well, I'm declaring it right now in Jesus' name. Legacy Church is a place where never is heard a discouraging word. I'm telling you, we have got saints in this church called to do the work of the ministry. What is my work? Build up. Build up the church. As a matter of fact, I'm assigning you with it. Before you leave this building today, minister grace to somebody. Find somebody and encourage them. Just encourage them. Put some courage in them. Put some strength in them. 
I didn't say sit somebody down and preach an hour message to them. I do that. You encourage them. Encourage them. Amen. Would you stand up on your feet? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.